Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 say, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. City Maniac, the wit from the mitt, the Great Lakes Grandmaster, the Motown Madman, the Mittens Killer Kitten. We ran out of nicknames. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Good morning. Good day to you. So glad to be back here. Aren't aren't you glad to be back here, Fun Dip? I'm always here. You're always here. He has no choice. <laughs> Every morning, I'm right here doing the news for southeastern Michigan. Do you ever get used to getting up so early? Never. I've been doing that almost consistently since about 96, and I still have a hard time getting up without my beloved coffee. Now, have you had coffee since you were a little kid, or is that, a, is that an adult thing? I started having coffee when my dad started taking me to the Buick dealership on the weekends, so that would have been, I must have been about 10. We'd go to uh, Elias Brothers Big Boy, and uh, we'd get, you know, you know, bacon and pancakes and a couple of coffees, and we'd be good to go. Yeah, well, you know, good to go is relative at that point. <laughs> Your doctor might not agree. But uh, thank you for tuning in, not only, of course, Southeast Michigan, Detroit's but uh, on the interwebs, we get a lot of emails from people who listen online. I'm always amazed, you know, when I see someone who's listening at, on a military base, you know, in, in Jacksonville, Florida, or out in Atlanta. And you realize with the internet, it's just, you have no idea who's listening. We've got a lot of listeners, actually, that are in Florida checking us out. Uh, I get a guy calling all the time saying, yeah, I'm on the freeway here and I've got no backups, no snow. And I'm like, thanks. Yeah, I don't know why he feels the need to tell you that. That's probably not a, a someone of particular mental uh, robustness. <laughs> it's because I went to school with him, and he's just rubbing it in. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I was going to say, if someone's just calling from Florida to give you traffic updates, that's the kind of it-puts-the-lotion-on-its-skin weirdness. <laughs> well, he's that way anyway. <laughs> okay. But, you know, listen, let's be honest, people. It's one of those weeks where... The news is very much the same as last week. It's just like if you look at 9-11, several weeks after 9-11, the news was still 9-11. So the news, if we were really, really wanted to talk just hard news today, is still Paris, Charlie Hebdo, and the reaction to that. But we got into that so in-depth last week, uh, I would say much more so than, than other shows. I mean, we had people on, we talked about the ramifications of Islam. So we will get into that today, more so the free speech angle. Not the terrorism angle, but the free speech angle, because you don't need to be a terrorist Muslim to – what people don't understand is there, there is a war against free speech, and that's a war by any and all Muslims. 
All Muslims believe that drawing Muhammad should be punishable. All Muslims believe that speaking of the Prophet in a way that is anything less than glowing uh, is punishable or should be punishable. Now, what about so Muslim capitalists talking about their prophets? Do they get in trouble? All right, what is that? Is, are you implying that Muslims are not allowed to be capitalists? No, but what if they're in a meeting and they start talking about prophets? Does somebody say, oh, you can't do that? Why? Because it sounds like prophet. Because you don't like the word. You're just, you, never I, I mind. See where you're you going. You haven't had your coffee yet, have you? I have had my. Well, you know what? I made a, a coffee and it was really weak. My mom brought this. Uh, these beans. Maybe it to wasn't me. hot enough. <laughs> no, she brought me beans from uh, like Nordstrom, and she was all enthusiastic about it. Stephen, you're gonna love these. You're never gonna believe it. And they were just terrible. Oh man! Isn't that so a you don't clothing have the heart. store? The what was that? Isn't that a clothing store? Yeah, they have like a coffee shop. Outside of Nordstrom, which, um, you know, we actually, it's funny, we were talking with one sponsor, one potential coffee sponsor, and then they, they wanted to get on here for free. That's the problem with a lot of sponsorships in the conservative movement or, in, you know, a Christian movement. Anywhere else we talk about this, right? You come to a business transaction. There's an x-axis. There's a y-axis. You say, okay, this is our budget. This is the value you bring to the table. Let's find the intersect. And then in any ideological movement, they just want to etch a sketch it and go, uh, you should do it for Jesus or uh, you should do it for conservatism. And it's like, yeah, but I, I've got to eat. Yeah, everything for me is like, you got to do it for cash. Got to do it for code, hot cash money. So we have the Islam deal, of course. We're still going to be talking about that. But you, you've heard about that a lot this week. So we don't want to only repeat ourselves. Uh, and especially if you go to lotterwithcrowder.com. Listen, I say this not to be arrogant, but nobody out there has been consistently hitting Islam as I have uh, online. Yeah, I mean, just knowing you, I'm afraid somebody's going to kill me for what you've done. I know. And you know what? Here's the thing. And we're kind of joking about it. But what I've done really isn't that offensive, Fun Dip. For anyone else, for Scientologists, for Buddhists, for Christians, what I've done is not vulgar. What I've done is not crass. It's edgy. But everything that I've done has been accurately sourced from the holy books themselves. And done in a goofy way online. It's not that offensive. You could show any of my videos to, you know, to Ben, to, to, to your child, and it wouldn't be inappropriate. <laughs> Maybe from my left-wing wife's perspective, it might be a little bit offensive. But isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? With left-wingers, what offends them is what they don't agree with, right? And first oh, off, yeah. I'm a grown man. I don't believe in being offended. But that's very different from me saying, hey, you know what, are you saying, hey, Ben, you know what, you can't watch this. It's just, it's not age appropriate. You know, if someone's blowing someone away with guns, it doesn't offend you. He loves that, though. Yeah, of course, all little boys love guns and love violence. It's just the way they're bred. And you know what, I think, I think there should be cartoons with violence in them. I don't think they should be watching, uh, you know, uh, Pulp Fiction. I don't think you should be sitting your kid in front of Tarantino as a babysitter. But the point is, isn't it funny? Maybe if it's death proof because it's got that really cool car in it. Which, uh, oh, oh, that was the uh, Kurt Russell, right? Yeah, yeah. That is, that's my favorite Tarantino, hands down. You got, I you don't got like the, Tarantino. Well, everything else is really difficult for me to watch, but death proof was so fun because it captured that genre of the old car chase movies, and the stunts were so brilliant, and the three actresses that are in that car, and when they, oh my gosh, I just absolutely love that movie. It is so fun, beginning to end. 
This literally sounded like Fun Dip's Movie Minute. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Here with Fun Dip's Movie Minute. Now, <laughs> now we'll be talking about Paddington Bear. <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh, I can't even believe They haven't even... I saw the preview for that last night. Here's how you know a film is bad. When you see a preview, like, the day, for the first time, the day the film is coming out. So they've been burying the previews, and there's an A-list star in there who you had no idea. This, just last night, I was watching the Goldbergs. The Paddington Bear preview came on. I'm going, wait, what is this? Holy crap, is that Colin Firth? And you know Colin Firth or whoever it is. I think it's Colin Firth. Is he in this one? I think so. Well, there's tons of A-list stars in there. The guy who plays the 12th Doctor is in there. The the main guy from um, Downton Abbey is in there. Okay. The, the woman from Happy Go Lucky and uh, um, Maiden Dagenham is, is the mom. They're A-list stars in the UK, but they're A-list stars. Well, yeah. I, I'm looking so forward to that because, I mean, the Paddington Bear books were charming as all get out, you know. And uh, Ben saw the trailer when we were watching TV. It's been on, actually, for about three weeks on BBC America. You constantly see that uh, that trailer. And uh, that's all he's been talking about. Are we going to the movies on Friday night? I'm like, no, that's after work. We'll probably go Sunday afternoon. And so oh, we're going to check okay. that out this yeah. weekend. That's your schedule. Oh, by, oh, by the way, we forgot to, to plug our, our guests, our wonderful guests we will have on today. We will have Andrew Clavin, uh, always fantastic, writer, uh, extraordinaire. People don't realize this guy's resume, Andrew Clavin. I mean, he's written you know, so many films that w- you've seen and probably loved and didn't realize, oh, that was an Andrew Clavin script or that was adapted from an Andrew Clavin novel. Uh, really just a great, informative guy, funny guy. Uh, we'll have uh, Crystal Heath on, my wonderful uh, producer, who also just knows politics in and out. She'll be coming on to talk about the uh, the, the DACA bill and, and Romney likely announcing now, his bid for presidency. Now, wait a second. You have another producer, you two-timing good-for-nothing. I know. I I am. Uh, Shame but, on uh, you. That, I'm leaving. Well, you don't really have anywhere to go. <laughs> oh, that's true. You're that's like true. that little kid who says, I'm running away, and you make it to the end of the b- block with your box of grapes. <laughs> You you come back with your head in shame. It's like uh, I don't even have the Snoopy thing over my shoulder. Right? Yes, I, I'm picturing I'm picturing you with the stick and the handkerchief. Yeah. Uh, method of method of. Uh, that was of I couldn't think of what it was, but yeah, Snoopy has that, and he's running away. I, whoever said like that couldn't be a less efficient hobo transportation device? A stick and a handkerchief. You can fit nothing in there. Yeah, well, if you're a hobo, theoretically, you don't have a whole lot of stuff. I, I guess it's really just uh, – it's a cover-up. It's, it's, it's a stick to hit other hobos with. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Get off my train! Whack. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were just packing your lunch. It's a weapon. Run away! It's like nunchucks. Uh, we were in Austin this week in the homeless problem. We'll talk about that. The homeless problem is just rampant there. Anywhere you have leftism and, and, and filthy hippies saying, we're all accepting of all. You have just homeless people accosting you on every single block. Of course, it's the same in Ann Arbor and San Francisco. And then it gets to a point where they have to they have to fix the city because it becomes a problem. It becomes a safety issue. So, And actually, you know what? That brings me to an interesting point. My wife and I had a conversation which made me aware of the fact that the greatest – male feminists uh, out there are married men. And we'll talk about that after this break. Uh, We'll get back and we'll talk Islam feminism 
uh, death penalty. I'm sure you heard about Charles Warner, who's been executed. This is top of the page news. And uh, with Andrew Clavin, stay tuned to The Louder with the Crowder. That's actually say added the. It's louder with Crowder as the show. But I added the to make it sound more official. So don't be confused. Louder with Crowder. We'll be back. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. Good morning. Glad to be back and so happy to have you with us. With me, Fundip was fired and eaten during the break. And I'm your new producer, Larry. You didn't even you didn't even search through the Rolodex of voices. You just put a lisp on there. I just went with the highest one, you know. It's like, okay, what's the furthest away from the regular? I could have gone with this guy. But I mean, really, do you want the guy who was chasing after Inspector Gadget as your producer? Oh man, that movie was terrible while we're talking about films. I'll get you Gadget. With Matthew Broderick, did you ever see that one? I think I did. I think it was on TV at one point, and it was just dreadful. Just, Matthew Broderick, I'm Inspector Gadget. I'm here to inspect gadgets. That's my job. It's just like, no, Inspector Gadget is supposed to be he and wise, and he's a yeah, clever guy. To, supposed to sound like Don Adams. Yeah, I don't know how they hey, did that. Chief, the would you believe two Girl Scouts and a Golden Retriever? Oh, no, no, I got him started. So we're talking about lots of different issues today. Uh, we'll get back to Islam and specifically free speech. What really, really bothered me today was, well, this week, was tuning into the news. And by the way, I'm done with this. I'm done with cloaking things and not saying conservative media or news or not saying Fox News. I'm, I'm, I'm done with it, okay? It doesn't mean just because I'm critical of someone on one issue doesn't mean I'm indicting an entire network or an entire ideological group of people, okay? But when I tune into to MSNBC and when I tune into Fox News, I don't know if this was the entire time. I know MSNBC has still consistently taken this stance, and they refused to show the new newspaper cover for Charlie Hebdo. I couldn't believe I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't. Well, I think they're uh, they're motivated by fear. They're motivated by fear, exactly. But uh, this is the first religion that is actually truly infringed on the First Amendment. It's 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 completely. This is such a slippery slope for the news to cover the biggest news story in the world. Really, the biggest news story of the last several months. Outside of 9-11, this is one of the worst terrorist attacks we've seen. And such a clear cut depiction of the influence, of the motivation behind this terrorist attack. So when they're covering it, and they're covering what caused the terrorist attack, it's not a violation of FCC rules, but there happens to be a portrait of Muhammad on the newspaper. And they're saying, we refuse to. I did a joke about that. If you go to louderwithcrowder.com, my Quran challenge video, when I compared Jesus to Muhammad, and I did a joke that said, portrait not available. for, <laughs> my, for my, And then, of course, right after it, it was me dressed up as Muhammad, you know, uh, g- trying to, to lure in a six-year-old girl as Muhammad did. But to see our news, that is your job. I mean, if anything, if, if you want to give yourself a, an award and talk about how brave you are and the risks. You're willing to take in the field, and you won't even run a damn newspaper. You should be ashamed of yourself. 
You could put pixelation all over the thing. Put it put it over his nose so it looks like a Schwanson. <laughs> Seriously though, that's your job. That's your job with news. It, your job is to cover the stories whether people will be offended or not, whether people want to hear it or not. That is your job. And I'm a comedian. I'm an entertainer. I've never considered myself a straight news guy, but I am doing a better job of that than news, and that's shameful. It really bothers me. I, I don't just say this. It isn't one of those things where I'm getting on air and you can hear a lot of these hosts where they have to find something to get mad about. As a comedian, as someone who, who makes drunk people laugh in a club for a living, you know, I did that for years. Now I'm fortunate enough where I can go to my own venues and, and bring people to me. But it's so necessary for everything to be within the bounds of safety to critique. It's either all okay or none of it's okay. It, 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 this this issue of freedom of speech to me is is the really the most important of our time because it's it's not only it's certainly not only terrorists it's all of Islam all most I mean Cat Stevens Cat Stevens said the guy deserved to die when he was talking about uh, uh, I think it was Salman Rushdie or or Muslim to Christian converts these are moderate Muslims they believe punishment by death for slandering Muhammad. They believe punishment for converting from the religion. You don't need to be a terrorist. You just need to be a Muslim. So even if they're not blowing you up, Islam is not a religion that can coexist with freedom of speech. And as a matter of fact, it's an ideology that demands the extermination of free speech. So as a comedian, as someone whose only tool is my voice, my words, to have those taken away, not only by Muslims, but by a complicit leftist cowardly media afraid to run a friggin' satire newspaper. By the way, not a funny paper. The French have a terrible sense of humor. Anyone who's ever performed anywhere with French people, you know, even in Montreal, you go out and you can have someone like a Bill Burr or you can have Dom Herrera performing brilliant stuff, not a laugh. Some mime with a papier-mâché friggin' hat comes out and they're in hysterics. Freedom of speech, that, that's what it comes down to. It's, it's one of the most important issues of our time because we're losing it. And I don't know, do you, do you get that sense, Fun Dip? Do you realize how imminent it is? Oh, yeah. It feels like you're not allowed to say the things, you know, that 15 years ago you would have been able to say with uh, no difficulty at all. Well, not even 15 years ago. You know, I started stand-up, so I, it would have been, it was in my teens, maybe 2005, 2000, yeah, 2005. And... I could say things back then that would get me fired today. And it was never dirty. Like I said, I've never been a dirty comic. I don't work blue. But just things that were politically incorrect, whether it be about Islam, whether it be about, you know, vegetarians, vegans. Uh, I, I, was, I was saying things back then that could, be ba- could get me banned today. So I, I wonder what it's like now to be a teenager or to be coming up, you know, right now doing an internship with with some kind of a news agency or, or trying to do stand-up or trying to be an actor, it's got to be a hard minefield to navigate the politically correct minefield right now because not only is it being dominated by people who will kill you, but by people who are so cowardly and afraid of the people who threaten to kill you that they just threaten to fire you. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's slowly changing over time, and then eventually you don't have those uh, First Amendment rights anymore. I tell you what, we're getting there. If we if we kowtow to Islam at all, it, it you don't you don't have your First Amendment rights. You can say legally you do, but if we live in fear 
of a group of people. And here's the thing. If you re- the only way to appease Muslims and Islam, you know, as far as not being offensive, no art. Just have to be no art. They don't believe in depictions of... Did you know that, Fundip? They don't believe in depicting the human form. You gotta art. have art. All you really need is art. It's not all you really need. You just got done talking about cash money. You need that, too. Well, yeah. If you can get cash money for your art, that's ideal. But the point is, it's not just about Islam. It's about those who cower before it. Louder with Crowder. We'll be back. I'm a We are back with a guest uh, with whom I'm actually thrilled to be speaking, kind of I have to say that, but uh, Andrew Clavin, author, video maker extraordinaire, and writer. Andrew, thanks for being back. It's a pleasure, and yes, you do that. I know, I know, it's just, it's the law, and then you could hear in my breath afterwards, and I was like, eh, <laughs> eh, I don't know, I kind of have to say that. But, uh, so Andrew, you've written a piece here um, that's up at PJ Media, and of course you do your videos at Truth Revolt. I don't want to, I hate to be that guy who brings people on and then spoils the piece by explaining it, but let me sort of preface it here. You were talking about how it's necessary um, with humor as we move forward. People are going to be offended and, and why the truth is important. I know, you know, I don't think there's, there's, it's by happenstance here that you wrote this in the wake of Paris. So why don't you tell the listeners what is it you wrote? Well, I'm talking about the fact that you were talking about the one about the counterculture. The yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because, I mean, this is the thing. The truth offends some, is always going to offend somebody. You know, the world in which you tell the truth and everybody applauds and carries you on your, their back and says, hurrah, you've told us the truth, thanks so much. That, that happens in the movies. <laughs> in right. real life, not so much. You know, in real life, uh, you know, uh, certainly uh, Christianity teaches us what happens to people who tell the truth. And, uh, and I think we should all remember that, you know, that that's pretty much the way truth is received. Right. So when comedians tell the truth, um, you know, people get offended when, when any kind of lecturer tells the truth. People, oh, there's always somebody going to be offended. So this thing where we've elevated being offended uh, or offending someone to the level of a crime uh, is just insane. You know, right. you don't have the right not to be offended. No one has that right, because that would be the right to just shut up everybody right. uh, who tries to tell the truth. Well, you have people like Sally Cohn who do believe that they have the right to free speech, just not – they have the right to not hear free speech that they don't like. You know, it's funny. I come from Canada, Andrew. We've talked about this before. Free speech doesn't exist there. A lot of people don't understand it's a very uniquely American ideal, this sort of rugged individualist free speech. So, I mean, you see it in Europe right now. I mean, you even see the way people are reacting with the Unity March. Uh, The Unity March could be a great thing. I think there were were some great things to have come out of that. But you also see this huge faction of people wanting to unify with the people who wanted to kill them because they drew a cartoon. And uh, it's pretty tough to to, to lock arms and sing We Are the World with the guy who wants to kill you because you drew a cartoon. You know, listen, while we're talking, about this this is something i know you and i have have discussed before it doesn't take a terrorist or radical islam 
to believe in the silencing of free speech as the Quran teaches. Any kind of depiction of Muhammad deserves punishment. Any kind of speaking out against Muhammad, it's the only religion that teaches punishment uh, for speaking about their prophet. Is that Was that sort of a catalyst to writing this this week? Well, you know, it's, it's not so much... I mean, look, these guys, the Islamo-Nazis, are, are thugs, and they are, they are Nazis. I mean, Nazis is, is the closest comparison I can come to right. uh, to these guys. But in a way... You know, I, in a way, I don't even worry about them as much as I worry about us, because they're bad guys. You know, there's nothing to do with them but kill them. There's nothing to do but fight them and, and suppress them right. and break up their cells. <laughs> That's the only thing that we have to do, and eventually I think we can beat them. What bothers me is the guys in our universities, the guys on our media who won't put their the, car, the offensive cartoons up, oh, I know. Uh, but, are, but are only too willing. You know, the New York Times says, well, we don't put up offensive cartoons. The New York Times once illustrated a book, a, a story about offensive Muslim cartoons by putting up um, that, that crucifix that was put in urine as a piece right. of art. Uh, yeah, and I they know. said, hey, here's an example of something religious <laughs> people, because they didn't want to offend Muslims. I worry about these guys. I worry about these children, uh, you know, yeah. young people in colleges who are being taught that they have a right not to be offended, uh, that they have a, that there's something so special and, and precious and delicate about them that, that they have to hear a trigger warning before somebody expresses an opinion uh, that they've never heard before. Um, I, you know, I gave a talk at a university once, and I simply uh, sat down and stated for about five minutes some of my conservative principles. And when I looked up, it was like that scene in the Mel Brooks movie, uh, The Producers, where they sing Springtime for Hitler, and they pan over to the audience, <laughs> and their jaws are on their chest, you know. It's yeah. like they've never heard these ideas before. Um, and when you protect people from ideas, you're not doing them a favor. You know, protect them from being offended. That's not helping them. Uh, that's simply making them small-minded and, and kind of cut off from reality. No, I think you're right. And, you know, funny little tidbit there. I may or may not have family members who actually were offended at Springtime for Hitler and walk out of that play. <laughs> right. They, 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 <laughs> they didn't even get – some people that, – that, but that's just a perfect example. And, and that, that, by the way, may or may not means – Yes, yes, I did have family members who did that, and they were telling us, could you believe they sang this song about Hitler? He is the worst man in history. Yeah, yeah, I can. That's the point. And they were offended, not even at the right thing. So not only if you, you're talking about declaring, you know, being, to be offended is not a right, but even then you have people who are offended at the wrong thing. They don't even know why they're offended. So if you can declare it a right, then you just walk down this path where people can claim anything. They can silence anyone for saying something that they simply don't like, even if it's not offensive. Yes, I mean, you know, this is this is the thing. The Obama administration has lent support to a U.N. Uh, movement to ban blasphemy, to condemn blasphemy right. in countries. But it's the Muslims in the U.N. who put that forward. But the, of course. The Obama administration, like, lent qualified... Uh, support to that. And the minute I heard that, I thought, huh, you know, well, you know, we used to have anti-blasphemy laws. That's why they killed Socrates, and that's why they killed Jesus. So what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, over time, over time, we learned that, you know, when you were offended, the best thing to do is walk away, turn off your television, you know, don't go to that movie if it bothers you. I get letters all the time, people who read my books, and they find language in it that they don't like. And my feeling is, you know, I'm sorry, don't read my books. That's that's the, that's the only answer, you know. I mean, and, and I think this idea that somehow you have a right to strike back, I mean, the Pope said it today. I was so flabbergasted to hear that. I wasn't. 
you weren't. No, I wasn't. I've expected it from this guy, and I know I'm going to get the Catholics mad at me, but there's a liberal pope. I just can't believe it. You know, I have to say the last two popes were two of the greatest men to live in my lifetime. Right. This guy, I'm sure he's a sweet, sweet man, but he's just he's just not thinking clearly. You know, when he says, you know, it's not even biblical to say that when somebody offends your mother, you can punch him. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know where he got. I'm sitting there. I'm going, where's the infallibility in this? Because I am scanning <laughs> through the texts. It doesn't even say it somewhere in the index like it's not there punch someone in the face for fending your mother but you know it's what's funny about this and we have to get off the pope because unfortunately you know catholics don't have a sense of humor about that and 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 it doesn't mean that i don't like catholics it doesn't we're not making fun of catholicism we're just talking about something this pope said that honestly oh you're, you're just you're gonna give me a headache we'll just move on from that but the point is here it, it, it's really important to me Someone who comes from a, an area that's a multicultural enclave like Montreal. I, I watched kids, by the way. I went to a school that was at least probably 30% Muslim. I watched them uh, actually applaud when 9-11 happened. So, and there was nothing I could say about it because it would be hate speech. I actually was banned from a multicultural fair by that same, um, well, not the high school, the college years later because I made a joke about Muhammad. There is only one religion right now that says... No, there's no level of offense that's allowed. There's there's no level of criticism that's, that's right. allowed. And then, but like you said, the, the real problem is the left that kowtows to them. When I saw that MSNBC, and by the way, let's be honest, conservative network didn't want to do it either. When I saw that news networks didn't run the the, the picture from the newspaper, I I could I couldn't believe my eyes. And I, I don't say that to speak in some kind of to use some kind of false platitude. I really I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The media still gave in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I mean, I would I thought the proper response, I mean, the genuine, proper moral response right. was for everybody to do it. You know, I mean, if, if they had responded instead of linking arms and saying, you know, just we Charlie, you know, if they had if everybody had said, you don't want to see these cartoons that this, you know, this obviously kind of adolescent, you know, satire magazine put out. Well, now we're going to put them everywhere. You know, right. Be on every to every day. We're going to put these are the cartoons, uh, you know, and then. That's how you strike back. That's how you silence guns, you know? Right. I mean, that, the, pen, the pen is only mightier than the sword when you use the pen. You know, it's not, it's not mightier than the sword when you cower and, you know, and say, I don't want to offend you guys, because then, you know, the sword basically wins. It, it should have, they should have been everywhere. You know, I, I have to tell you something. I, just, just to be honest, you know, I don't believe in offending people's deepest spiritual beliefs. I don't believe in go, going out of my way, crossing the street, you know, to... to throw mud on people or, or, or anything like that, you know, I, I might not even have done what that magazine had done, but they had the right to do it, and you have to defend that right with everything you've got, because if, if, it's, it's the outliers where right. free speech is tested. That's where free speech is tested. And, and so, like, you know, I just think everybody should have sung, and, and, as one and repeatedly and day after day, they should have published those cartoons again and again. No, I think you're absolutely right. When people say, "Well, why do you why do you do these videos on Islam, Stephen? You, you're just trying to offend." It's not even about Islam or the fact that you know Muhammad was a pedophile. It's not really even about that. It's it is entirely a free speech battle. I mean, when we started over at PJTV, and now you're doing these videos at, at Truth Revolt, where people should absolutely go fantastic. But when we started, remember. I, there was a video, I did maybe one video on Islam, and then what happened was there was such a reaction, 
and not just from Muslims, not from not just from terrorists, not even from moderate Muslims, though that too, but from leftists telling me, you know, you really shouldn't do this. It, it was right. kind of like the Bill Murray in Scrooge moment. I said, now I have to kill all of you. You know, you've you've forced <laughs> my hand, and it, it, it is a really bizarre world to me as a comedian. And, and that's what really struck me in your piece that that humor. Is it's a window that's closing more and more as to what's allowable, and we either have to decide that it's all allowable or none of it's allowable. Well, I mean, just think about the fact that there hasn't been like ten jokes on late night television about Barack Obama and the guy who, you know, one of the guys who writes for Saturday Night Live. So, oh, there, there was nothing funny about him. I mean, <laughs> drug, right. this drug smoking, secretive, <laughs> incompetent guy who gets elected basically as an affirmative action hire, and there's nothing, there's nothing funny about him. I mean, that's the kind of that is the kind of fro- state of frozen uh, fear that these people have talked themselves into. Uh, and, and, you know, I just think we have to start striking back. We have to start, like, being, we have to start being offensive, you know. It doesn't, it, it doesn't even come naturally to me, but we have to keep, we have to start doing it simply to show people that they won't explode, they won't be, they won't break, you know, and it can be done, and you can stand up because, you know, that's the only way these guys are going to be stopped. I mean, they could have they could have struck back so effectively against that Paris attack if right. everybody had shown those cards in. Well, let's be honest, though, here. Some of us will explode. <laughs> it's bound to happen. Yeah, I, 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 let, me, let me put it this way. I'm not going to be standing that, all that close to you. Uh, right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. No, it's uh, some of us will. And, you know, I'm at the top of that list when, when care uh, puts at the top of a list right next to Salman Rushdie and Mark Stein. You go, eh, okay, maybe I start – maybe I get a shotgun in every room at this point. Um, I, I know, Andrew, this, this piece is great. And really to speak to me, obviously, as a comedian, as someone who, who tries to get out there and fight for free speech. I mean, you know, like you said, listen, we're, we're out there. We're, we're using the pen. We're not using the sword. We, we don't get at least the satisfaction of separating someone's head from their body. So you put a joke out there, you write a piece, and you don't always know if it lands or if it affects some change. Uh, but yours really did. So where can people best find you? Well, the best place to find me right now is at, uh, is at Truth Revolt, but you can also find my writing at uh, PJ Media. Um, that's, I have a blog there called Clavin on the Culture, and at Truth Revolt, I'm doing these videos, The Revolting Truth. This. I hope everybody will turn up. I have a novel, a really good novel coming out in March called Werewolf Cop. I think it's one of the best books I ever wrote, and I hope like people will go out and maybe pre-order it on Amazon because uh, it's really an exciting book. It's really different. Uh, I don't think you've read anything like it before, and I think uh, I, I just like love it if people would turn up and take a look. Uh, matter of fact, I've never read anything before, so that would be a true statement. <laughs> and I, I will read. <laughs> yes, I only I only like your young young adult novels and that's mainly for the covers and so i sit and i ask myself well what's he really trying to say here so i can act introspective and analytical but then i go back to my sad uh, sad state of affairs that is my life andrew thank you so much and and really do hope people go out and not only buy that book but read this piece thanks again for being on thanks a lot you're listening to louder with crowder on wham talk 1600 More Louder with Crowder when we return right here on Wham Talk 1600.
If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle, or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to SimplifiedWine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today. 844-297-WINE. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. Good morning and good evening and good day and everything in between because you could be listening to this whenever if you're doing the podcast. Let's be honest, Southeast Michigan, we come to you, home studio of Wham! But uh, thanks to the interwebs, you can hear this anywhere. It's funny. I was going to talk about. Did you see that the uh, Charles Warner, the baby cuter, uh, baby cuter, the baby killer was executed? Uh, what state was that? Uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, I didn't catch that. In its first lethal injection since the botched one last spring, Oklahoma eg- executed a convicted killer with a three-drug method, also used by Florida. So, the big story here is that as he was being killed, this man is a baby killer, by the way, killed baby. He said, my body is on fire, meaning he felt some kind of pain. And so everyone is up in arms. We need to end the death penalty. He was put to death for killing an infant in 1997. Okay, I love I'm reading this from Huffington Post, so they don't go into gruesome detail as to what he did. But they're calling this a tragedy. Because a a baby killer got killed? Well, that he was that he felt pain when he was killed. And one would think he deserved it. Well, he, he deserves – if you're just talking about what he deserves, he deserves worse than what he got. But as a civilized society, I don't think it's our job to torture criminals. I think we should try and dispose of them in the most efficient way possible, which should be humane. But to consider this a tragedy, this is today's left. You know, a tragedy to me – and folks, if you disagree with me, you can tweet me. Go tweet me at S. Crowder. That's S. Crowder on Twitter. A tragedy is – your son goes out, he's playing stickball in the street and gets mowed over by an Escalade. That's a tragedy. A baby killer experiencing an aftershave burn when the lights go out, and rightfully so, is not a tragedy to me. And it's certainly not a, a, enough of a reason to, to consider ending the death penalty. I don't even think it warrants the conversation of ending the death penalty. By the way, I'm not even necessarily super pro-death penalty. I can go either way on that one. I do as a, I get a little aggravated when Christians talk about an eye for an eye. Um, There really isn't a lot of biblical basis for the death penalty when you look at the New Testament and Old Testament in its entirety. But it's not prohibited. So I do think it comes down to, you know, your, your, your personal worldview. 
Uh, I just think whatever's the cheapest way to dispose of this these you know human scumbags. You know, you're pro death penalty though, right, Dan? Oh yeah, it, and everybody is always confused by the fact that I'm pro life for the innocent unborn, but pro death penalty for guilty jerks. See, it's funny. I don't think there's anything confusing about that. What's confusing to me is someone who's anti-death penalty and then pro-abortion. Well, yeah, yeah. But, the you know, when you talk to people on the left, they, they say, well, how can you be pro-life and pro-death penalty? I'm like, well, because the kid never did anything. The other yeah. guy, we know he did. Because you have a moral compass, and that's the problem with this whole false moral equivalency, situational ethics of today. It's they, they want to act as though the life of a child is the same as a life of a convicted violent cop. Oh, look at this, right, right here. You know what I would consider tragedy? The baby that was killed by this guy, Charles Warner. Yeah. That's much more tragic than the fact that he felt the burn. And what they're saying is, you know, he technically shouldn't have experienced the burn, that there's a, there's a, a process to which chemicals... Are, are injected into the body, one paralyzing you and one numbing you from pain, and then, boom, your breathing stops. So it's, it's supposed to be entirely painless. Like going to take a nap or going under, you know, for surgery. And that didn't happen in this case. That somewhere down the line he experienced some pain. Uh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh. I, I don't understand. It's front page right now at Huffington Post. I don't understand why people are that upset about it. That just goes to show you how far along the trail we've come. You're talking about millions of babies aborted. You can have people like Wendy Davis or Warner getting up there demanding that abortion into the third trimester be legal, demanding that a woman's right to end a life, by the way, at a point when a central nervous system is developed, when fingernails and toes exist and thoughts and reaction to, 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 to any kind of stimulus in the womb. They fight for the right to kill that person and, and then are furious when a baby killer eh, felt a little bit, you know, maybe, maybe like rubbing the, 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 uh, the hand sanitizer and you find out you've got a cut on your palm. A baby killer experienced that. Oh, the humanity. I guess, they just don't, I, I guess maybe for them the guy never committed a crime, right? Because if it's an infant, I guess they have a cutoff. As to whether your life is worth living, I don't know how young that has to be. It is. I'm, it is so bizarre. It's 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 weird, but again, it goes back to the same people who, while we're talking about free speech, we were talking about it with with Andrew Clavin. These are the same people who say we demand free speech, but really, we also think that we shouldn't stand up to Islam. We want to be sensitive to the people who want to kill us for exercising free speech. We we want to be sensitive to that. It's the same people. Who say eh, killing a baby is is fine, but this guy who killed a child, I, he can't experience any slight discomfort. It's the same thing with prison. We need to make prisons better. I thought prison should be as uncomfortable as possible. I think the death penalty should be as uncomfortable as possible, not physically in a term of pain, but it should be something that causes you to to think about the fact that you did some crap, and hopefully you have your come to Jesus moment. And hopefully it doesn't burn when they put you under. But you know what? If you decide to kill some kids, if you decide to go out and take out of school, if you decide to, to, to ruin the lives of families, having a slight burn when they put you under and you walk toward that white light or red light, that's the risk you take. Sorry.
for the Motor City Maniac, the wit from the mitt, the Great Lakes Grandmaster, the Motown Madman, the Mittens Killer Kitten. We ran out of nicknames. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. You are listening to Steven Crowder on Louder with Crowder. Uh, it looks like Mitt Romney r- might run again. You hear that fun dip? Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I know. What is it with the Republicans running losers nonstop? Well, there are, I don't think there are any really strong candidates that come forward. My theory is that if somebody is bright enough to actually do the job, they're they're smart enough to realize that they ought not run. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Or maybe they're not corrupt enough. Maybe someone decent enough to do the job isn't egotistical, isn't maniacal enough to actually run for president. I think you've got you've got to be a little bit nutty. You've got to have done some stuff to become president or become the Republican nominee. I don't know. I could be entirely wrong. I could be entirely out of line, but we will have our guest, Crystal Heath, after the break, who will discuss with us the top, actually not top five, top ten reasons as to why Mitt Romney is not the man for the job. Mitt Romney is, is he's the best at one thing. Mitt Romney is number one at losing. When it, when it comes to losing, Mitt Romney's tops. Maybe the uh, Detroit Lions should hire him. I don't follow football at all. Me neither, but I, I remember there being a lot of losing Lions jokes over the years. I think they've actually had a good last season or two. I haven't paid attention since Billy Sims was on the team. I haven't paid attention. I will say this, and then people got so furious at these tweets. When there was, you know, I'm in Dallas here right now broadcasting live from a studio here. You know, Romo is, I guess he's some quarterback or something with Dallas. Um there were people walking around at these these playoffs games. Well, hockey, it's playoffs. I don't even know what it's called in football. In hockey, it's playoffs in the Stanley Cup. In football, I know it's a Super Bowl, but are they called playoffs? And they were wearing the guy's jersey, wearing someone's name on their back. Uh, it, it's just something that it just seems a little bit sad to me. You're a grown man wearing the name of another man on your back. And if you've got a wife or if you've got a girlfriend and she's there with you and she sees that you're cheerleading for another man so much that you've paid $120 for that uh, officially licensed NFL jersey to put another man's name on your back, I I can only imagine being a woman looking at him saying, if you want to be with him, why am I with you? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, a name on your back of another man. Have you been pinned with his prom ring? What about if you're wearing a shirt that says Led Zeppelin on it? That's the name of a band that has four people in it. So you're a big Led Zeppelin fan, but you said it was true what people said about the um, them ripping off songs. Oh, yeah, the early blues stuff. But, I mean, everybody that was playing British blues during the late 60s was taking from the earlier uh, the the people who started it that was very prominent at the time well 
And I hardly ever listen to the first two albums because it doesn't really get good until Zeppelin 3, and then Zeppelin 4 is my favorite. I'm not a huge Zeppelin fan. I, I like some songs, but I, I don't really get into the, the albums, I guess, so much. Kind of like Pink Floyd. I just can't do it. Yeah, there are, there are probably about four or five Pink Floyd songs that I really like. But yeah, every, yeah. every time anybody puts on an, a whole Pink Floyd album for me to listen to, I fall yeah, right I asleep. There's something, it's really calming, and it's really numbing, and you doze off. Well, that's the whole thing. It's, it, it gets to a point where you have a few good songs, and then you go, now we're just going to put in a bunch of sound effects and ambient noise, and you're going to think that we're brilliant anyway. <laughs> the Mars Volta is like that for my generation. They had some great, great Ooh. songs. The Mars Volta. You'd actually love some of the songs. Very similar to kind of Rush, uh, you know, Pink Floydish. but then they have like half of their album is just like, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I've never even heard of Mars Volta. Oh, yeah, they're great. Sounds, they're a great sounds band. like the name of an electric car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I got surprised? the new Mars Volta at the, at the North American International Auto Show now. Which, by the way, to anyone listening right now, I have zero respect. Zero respect for electric car-only parking. If you see that guy who doesn't have an electric car who's parking in that spot, that's me. <laughs> and I, I feel zero parts guilty. It's just like the handicap parking. You should have a couple. But 19 spots, and they're always empty. The only time they're full is when some, uh, some you know, giant lady in a muumuu pulls up who somehow managed to convince her doctor that she, she gets to use the fancy parking spot. I can't believe, I can't believe that more people don't point out what a sham the American Disabilities Act is in a lot of ways. And the, really, the reason why is because no one wants to talk about American Disabilities Act because you seem like a jerk if you say, this is ridiculous. You hate people with disabilities? No. There, they, you would have to search for enough people in your town to fill up the handicapped parking spots in one Kroger parking lot. That's how many there are. Oh, yeah, there are a lot of them. Anyway, Mitt Romney, he's going to be speaking today, likely announcing that he's running for president again. He basically told donors to hang on to their wallets, which as far as I'm concerned is a jackass move, basically telling them don't, don't, uh, don't don't back anyone yet. Don't back anyone yet. Wait until I get in, which is sort of shortchanging all of the other candidates. Here's what you need to know about Mitt Romney. Here's what you need to know about Mitt Romney. Um, there are only two people, two people in the history of mankind, to sign a health care mandate into law. Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. Doesn't need to be much more said. There really doesn't need to be much more said. Yeah. Not socialized healthcare. There are two people ever in the history of mankind. One is the person who Republicans and conservatives love to hate, and you know, and rightfully so. They should hate the Affordable Health Care Act policy. They should absolutely hate it. It's a horrible bill. The only other person in the history of ever to have done that is Mitt Romney. How do you go out and find that candidate? I mean, it, it is incredible to me. That Republicans said, yeah, he's our guy. And then what's so funny is the debates happened. And the first debate, Mitt Romney did pretty well. And then the second and third, remember, everyone was sort of saying, yeah, he just faded. He just disappeared. We don't know what happened. Well, I'll tell you what happened. The single biggest issue of the election, the Affordable Health Care Act, Obamacare, he couldn't, Mitt Romney couldn't address it. Yeah, he because of Romney care. Yeah, he couldn't attack it. All Barack Obama needed to do was say, 
you first. And the debate was over. So Mitt Romney wasn't aggressive because he was just hoping that it never came to that issue. He tiptoed around it, talked about everything else under the sun, and completely avoided the absolute, the, the, the kill stroke, which was just dismantling Obamacare. So we'll talk with Crystal. She knows a lot more uh, about Romney. She works in politics uh, after. Well, actually, I guess we're going to have another break and then she'll be on. We'll be talking about the top nine reasons why Mitt Romney should not be the candidate. And he is number one at losing. We'll also talk more about free speech, the death penalty. And actually, with FundUp, we were going to talk about sex in the 80s. He was going to enlighten us. I, and write. I vaguely remember it. He vaguely remembers it. Louder with Crowder. We'll be back. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. Uh, bring the funk. Uh. You gotta love the average white band, though, man. These guys were great. It's still going. Yeah, I know. It's my favorite bump. You don't know nothing about this. You don't know nothing about this, boy. This That's, the, that's a Scottish band jamming that. Yeah, I know. It's good stuff. (laughs) Hey, have you heard? There's this new song out. um, It's by Mark Ronson, and it's featuring some other guy, and it's uh, Uptown Funk, and it sounds like the time. It's awesome. Okay. It's like one of the the first recent songs that's really jumped out at me. We were talking before the break. Fundip and I were talking about uh, about sexual healing. We were talking about sex before the break, and Fundip was talking about, oh, that's how it came up. You said sex in the 80s was great, and oh, I yeah. said not if you were Tom Hanks in Philadelphia. <laughs> and I think we've talked about this, the movie Rent. You know, that's like a big play. Have you seen that? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never seen it all the way through. Well, you know, it's it's you know what it's about. It's about those artists living in the East Village. Yeah, and they all have AIDS. Yeah, and they're sitting there singing, and they're they're playing the victim card. And I'm watching it, thinking, you all have AIDS. Every single one of your friends has AIDS. Do you have an idea how rare that is? Like, like, no, it's not us. You don't need to change. It's the world that needs to change, baby. No, you need to change. <laughs> the whole world doesn't have AIDS. You have AIDS. Just just stop screwing each other. And stop shooting up heroin. It's an easy problem. Oh, it's just you don't understand the struggle. I do. Don't shoot heroin with dirty needles and screw the guy next door who you know has AIDS. It makes me less sympathetic to the cause. Which, by the way, there was never an AIDS epidemic in this country. You know that, right? That never existed. What do you mean? I, I've read all about it. There, there was never an AIDS epidemic in this country. Was it a pan? It, was it a pandemic? I was it a pandemic? Those, no, that was the bird flu. I always get those confused. What is the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic? I looked I it think, up once, but I can't remember right now. I think pandemic is slightly more epic. Um, but it's epic, dude. No, they tried to make you think in the eighties, right? And it was to be politically correct that anyone is at risk of AIDS, and it was so prevalent it really wasn't. Do you do you understand? Do you know what your risk of contracting AIDS is? As um, honestly, not even entirely monogamous, but a relatively monogamous heterosexual male. 
or female in this country? Yeah, twenty five percent. Yeah, it's less. It's less than one percent. Hmm. It's less than one percent. You have to be having copious amounts of sex. So I really should have tried harder in the nineties. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> you mustn't be afraid to dream a little bigger, love. Go on yeah. out there and make a great day. Well, it's one of those things. Again, it's the politically correct. You, you, you know, now you see these posters, these billboards that says it's our disease. Let's handle it. And it's, you know, the rainbows and gay people really taking control of it. Because the fact is, in North America, it is almost entirely exclusive to that community. Now, I'm not saying they deserve AIDS. I'm not saying I wish AIDS upon them. But what they try to do in just being because the politically correct thing was not to say, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of really common in the gay community. They just had to say, well, AIDS is super common. It was never super common. But what about that little kid that Elton John uh, talked to and had on the TV? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, you can Ryan find examples. Like that. Yeah. You can find examples, but you're talking single-digit percentage points. And so, but, but, so to talk about it in the media as though it's, it's just as applicable to any portion of the population, frankly, is, is doing – the gay community or the drug community a big disservice because those are the people who, who, who tend to suffer with this disease. And, and those are the people who should be raising awareness. We need to be honest about how the disease is spread, uh, where you're most likely to contract it. And, you know, it's very different from obviously in third world countries or in Africa where a kid can be born with AIDS yeah. uh, through no fault of his own. And that's just tragic to me. That's tragic to me. What isn't tragic to me is if you are in the United States and you're having copious amounts of uh, bisexual fornication, let's say, and then or like a flight attendant from Toronto, you've read The Tipping Point, haven't you? No, I didn't get a chance to read that. Oh, did you know that? That the entire AIDS, uh, the entire AIDS spread in North America can be traced back to one male flight attendant from Toronto? Damn Canadians. I know. It's the damn Canadians. But it's true. They talk about airwalk and how the skate shoe thing came about and the, you know, the tipping point when something becomes part of the zeitgeist, right? And he talked about AIDS, and it was traceable back to one man who was a flight attendant from Toronto whose goal was to sleep with as many men as humanly possible. That was his goal. So he himself didn't know he had AIDS, and by the time he had found out, you know, thousands of people across the country. So think of how exponential that is. You're a male flight attendant. And your goal is to conquer you know, sexually thousands of people. You don't know you have AIDS. Now they don't know they have AIDS. If those thousands of people just sleep with one or two other people and those people sleep with one or two other people, it was basically a book detailing how something goes viral before the term viral meant what it means now. With, with AIDS, you really are talking viral. Uh, but anyway. Fundup's answering phone calls. We've, we've ticked off enough people today, so he's, he's manning the phone lines, and we're not taking them. If you want to talk with me, you can tweet me at S. Crowder right now. Um, just try and wade through the angry Muslims who are furious with the videos that I've been putting out. But it's still a good time. It's still a good time on the Twitter. Was that someone calling, complaining? No, it was a guy who said uh, when the left gets a cause, they want to make everyone get on the bandwagon. And he noted a similarity between the uh, the AIDS issue uh, when that was really hitting the media initially and the, the campus rape issue, which you discussed oh, yeah. a few weeks back. Well, did you see Lena Dunham just said, you know, I don't care what 
I don't care what conservative white men think about me. What so she I was talking about, about you? It has nothing to do with whether they're conservative white men. It's that you lied about rape. You lied about rape and you molested your little sister. Yeah. And we're, sp- we're supposed to feel bad. Like, oh, poor Lena Dunham. We're just, you know, she was at the, uh, the Golden Globes and she said, you know, when you shut off Twitter and you get away from the angry neocons, like, couldn't it just be, maybe someone's not a neocon, which is an overused term to begin with, but when someone reads about you, when someone reads your writing and you're talking about uh, fondling your little sister, by the I don't know what I can say on air, but picture her little sister's most secretive places and Lena Dunham invading it in a way that's kind of disgusting and writing about it. Couldn't it just be that you talk about how you were drunk on Coke, booze, and Xanax, and you were you were peeing outside, and you invited the guy back, and you wanted to have sex with him, and you talked dirty to him, and then afterward, you didn't really like it, and so you accused him of rape? Couldn't it just be that someone maybe isn't a neocon, but they read your writing and just think, this is, this is a bad person? Isn't that a possibility, too, Fun yeah, Dip? It sounds like it would make sense. It sounds reasonable to me. But this is the problem. No matter what we're talking about, whether it's Islam, whether it's rape culture, whether it's AIDS, you know, you can't just be critical of Muhammad or, or Islamic ideology without being Islam. Well, you're just being Islamophobic. This is offensive. You can't say, hey, you know what? It, it really seems like Lena Dunham has a lot of holes in her story where she just claims she was raped. And there's no one who be- no one who believes that rapists should be extinguished from the face of the earth more than then fund it for myself. But oh, there are a little bit of holes here. You're just a rape apologist. You just love rape. There's no way you can just say, oh, you know, the AIDS thing was a blown up epidemic if you actually look at the numbers. You just, you just hate. You just hate AIDS people. No. We need to be able to have a discussion about everything. And I, by the way, that's why I don't even have a problem with those Westboro Baptists. There's only 12 of them, but they get plenty of media coverage. I'm not a big fan of them. I'm not a fan of them, but they have the right to exist. But they should stop faxing so many press releases. <laughs> You're using all my paper. I know. I don't. I mean, those people are absolutely tenacious. Maybe that's why they're on so much. They're just constantly. I don't put them on. I throw those. Fork. I throw those press releases away. I'm like you're talking about something that's not even in Michigan, and you're faxing my local news department. Go away. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, they're just willing to take any press they can get, and the media is all too quick to book them most of the time because they can go see there are just as many radical Christians as Muslims. No, you're talking about hundreds of Muslims who believe that anyone, uh, sorry, hundreds of millions of Muslims who believe that anyone who draws Muhammad or, or is critical of Muhammad deserve to die. Westboro Baptist Church is 12 people. Nine members are part of the same family. But even then, I think they have the right to speak out. I don't think I necessarily have the right to go to a, a private funeral in protest that well, support the death of a military member. I think it's distasteful, and I think they should have to be a certain amount of distance away. But when it comes to free speech, either all of it's okay or none of it is okay. Very important battle. We'll be right back. You crunch for time looking for that perfect Christmas gift list, and nobody needs pajama grams or socks. Send them a gift they'd actually like. A nice bottle of wine would be nice, but sometimes that's complicated. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a sommelier will take your information, budget, and they will deliver stellar, beautifully packaged wine 
right to their door. I took care of all my relatives, friends, business associates with just one phone call. Really, it is that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to send a great gift, but the least expensive. All you need to do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE, and they take care of the rest. Don't like phone calls? Just go to SimplifiedWine.com and hit the Simplify button. Call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to their door, guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today, 844-297-WINE. This is Steven Crowder, host of Louder with Crowder, and I just wanted to tell you about the best gun-related website there is, AR15.com. It's one of my favorite sites on the internet, period. I know some of you hear AR15 and say, isn't that the scary black rifle? Well, yes, it is, but AR15.com is the best site for all information on anything gun-related, informative articles, and the biggest active gun-related community on the web to personally help you with gun safety, recommendations, where to take your permit courses, as well as the best gun store on the internet. I'm talking accessories, upgrades, ammo, whatever you need at, frankly, the best prices I've ever seen. So whatever your gun-related needs, whether it's information, personal help, or you're looking to make a few purchases, AR15.com is the best website there is. Go there, AR15.com. Visit AR15.com today for all of your gun-related needs. That's AR15.com. Fun dip. Shut up. It's my show. Yes, we are happy. We are dancing. And our next guest is actually quite an inspiration to me because I have a tendency to gravitate toward being a miserable curmudgeon. But I'm rubbing off on you. Yeah. Our next guest, uh, you can find her writing at louderwithcrowder.com or follow her on the Twitter. I'll get her handle up here on my Twitter. Uh, Crystal Heath, thank you for being with us, young lady. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. Yes. Even, you know, in the morning. But I, I do have one suggestion, though. Okay. Since it is, you know, morning, maybe like nice classical peaceful music so you can just like ease into the day. Uh, you can just mention that to fund it. No, because that you'll, you'll, we'll doze right off. Yeah. It'd be <laughs> like playing Coldplay. We'd fall completely asleep. And, and turn gay. <laughs> I don't get the Coldplay. Somebody recommended them to me this week, and I because they're from England, and I, I listened to five songs. I went through a book that shows which ones charted the most, and I said, this is lousy, this is lousy. None of it's any good. No. Well, I don't think Chris are, 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 Is English music generally any good? I mean, oh, careful, Crystal. You're talking funded as a show on the British Invasion music. That's his thing. It's like you kicked a child. Yeah, I'm the host of London (laughs) Calling every Saturday night right here on Wham Talk 1600. 
And everything from the Beatles, the Stones, the Who, Led Zeppelin, all the way up to uh, more modern stuff like Lily Allen and uh, all of that. So yeah, Okay, that's enough of plug. Stuff. Let's get back to plugging Crystal. Tune in now. <laughs> Crystal actually wrote a, a wonderful piece up at uh, lotterwithcredit.com. Kind of satire, but the point of the piece is that Democrats right now, liberals, are really pushing this idea that Republicans just hate children. Uh, Crystal. Why don't you explain to us what yeah. inspired this exactly? <laughs> well, I mean, the bottom line is Republicans hate children. I'm hearing it. I see it all the time. It has to be true because it's what the media tells us, right? So right. I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? It, it's, it is true because you know, we expect kids to grow up. We expect kids to pay for their own college or get a scholarship, and I know it's very shocking um, whereas Democrats are just like, you know what, you're just you're just a kid. It's okay. You're allowed to, you know, you just make your mistakes. Don't worry about learning from other people's mistakes. Um, forget right. that. Just do what you want. Stay on mommy and daddy's insurance, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, the latest thing this week was um, the president's deferred action for childhood, childhood arrivals plan. Excuse me. They, uh, Republicans voted to not fund that, which, and that obviously, that's a, uh, the illegal immigrant issue where they would let kids stay for three-year increments as right. long as they were here, you know, before age 16. They've been living here since 2007, and they're attending some kind of a school, whether that be, you know, right. high school, middle school, elementary school, college, whatever. As long as you're in school and you're here, hey, you just stay. And Republicans are like, yeah, no, we're not going to fund that. Um, and so clearly, I mean, yeah. They hate kids. It's just, it's just a fact. It's a fact. Republicans hate kids. The Republicans yeah. hate kids. I think um, Fundip hates children, but Fundip Especially hates- when they stand in front of the TV during the Goldbergs and I can't see what's on. He probably hates puppy dogs, too. Yes, he hates sure. and sunshine and lollipops. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and rainbows. Yes, and rainbows. And peace on earth. That really irks you, doesn't it, Fundip? Oh, drives me nuts. <laughs> Nothing better than seeing a Sherman tank going right down the neighborhood there. Forget no, that but piece. It, it's 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 an important point, Crystal, and we'll get on to we'll 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 move on after the break to your I think great your top list about why Romney is the number one loser. But there really is a narrative, and you see it this week. It just it obviously hasn't been as big. Everything's sort of been buried in the Charlie Hebdo, the the the, the, the terrorist attack. Unfortunately, that's happening all the time now, and I I just don't want to always talk about death on this show. Though really, if we were only right. doing the news today, that's what we'd be discussing. But You've seen it with the Tea Party and racism. You've seen it with with Lena Dunham and the the rape culture or feminism. And now you're even seeing it. It's it's the same thing. It's identity politics with children. Democrats, liberals are legitimately teaching children and not even children, honestly, young adults that Republicans hate you. It's not it's not that Republicans love children or conservatives love young adults just as much as Democrats or liberals. It couldn't be that they just have a different viewpoint on what, on, as to what's conducive to raising a healthy, well-adjusted young adult. It has to be that they hate young adults. It, and here's one thing. I mean, we're about the same age, Crystal. It, mm-hmm. Even when you were starting and you were in college and you were doing the kind of you know young Republican or whatever, whatever it was that you were involved with, you didn't, is it just me or did you not see politics being this divisive? And really, I am saying solely from the left where everybody is constantly assaulted on their character for simply having a different point of view. How, don't you feel like it's accelerated very, very rapidly in recent years? 
I think it's accelerated extremely rapidly. I mean, it's. I feel like it's gotten to the point where we don't even necessarily talk about the real issues anymore. Uh, we just, if, if there's something I can go after you for your character or something that you personally believe, that's where I'm going to go. It doesn't really matter what you think about actual issues like the national debt or, you know, education or whatever else. It's just, I'm going to attack you personally because that's the best way to bring you down politically, it's, which is sad. I think it's really sad, the political culture that we're living in right now. It's just in a constant attack mode. Speaking of attack mode, I don't know if you've been following my Twitter. I know Fundip uh, knows about this. Did you see the Share fans who came after me this week? <laughs> I did see that. So this is what you get for putting up memes and making fun of people's icons. Like if you put up a meme of Tim Tebow and said something about him, I might have to send you some hate mail. You might have to send me some hate mail, but it wouldn't be like, you never, you will never touch Tim Tebow. No one touches Tim Tebow. These people were furious. I did a meme because Cher, we'll talk about this with my, actually my brother, you know, who's a, an award-winning filmmaker after the break. Cher said, can't we not kill the terrorists? Can't we shoot them with, with uh, tear gas and dart guns? No more martyrs. And so I posted that right next to, I'll send it over to Fundip, right next to a picture of a terrorist and it just said, LOL, kill her. Because they don't care. They don't they have no sympathy for Cher. Yeah, they the hear gypsies, crew. tramps, and thieves, and they're like, get that thing off of here. Right. Well, all of her, all of her fans are like, how dare you threaten the life of Cher? She's a beautiful human being. I didn't. There seems to be a real lack of, of understanding satire now. And when you combine that with what Crystal's talking about, the personal attacks, I mean, Crystal, what, what kind of an atmosphere do you think it's like today in college for a conservative do you think there's any way they can even express a point of view without just being silenced before the conversation starts? Well, they can express it, but they're going to be humiliated and smashed and told that they're wrong and stupid. So, you know, when you tell a young person, well, you're just dumb and stupid because you just don't understand how the world works, then, you know, it's kind of easy to see how we're getting so many liberal kids Conservative kids going into college, liberal kids coming out. Because their conservative views, for one thing, liberal views are just shoved in their face constantly. And then yeah. if they dare to express anything to the contrary, it's like, well, you're just a stupid little moron, and here's why. So, I mean, nobody wants to be told that. And if you hear it enough, you start to believe it, and then, oh, well, I should just adapt my thinking because maybe you're right, because everybody thinks I'm a moron. I don't want to be the moron. Right. So, yeah, Fundip loves that word. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, actually my nickname for oh, my youngest welcome. child. Moron. <laughs> oh, they didn't say you stupid little moron. They said no. you stupid big moron. Yeah, definitely. But, I mean, one of the things that uh, she brought up a, a pretty interesting point about the uh, conservatives in college, I imagine expressing those thoughts while you're in college also makes it harder to get a date. Good point, Fun Dip. I think... It would make it harder for you to get a date, maybe well, not Crystal. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, because there are so many people that believe the liberal side of things, if you're expressing a different viewpoint, you become ostracized, regardless of whether or not you're ugly like me or attractive like other people. Right. Well, Crystal, that's actually a good point. So are you, are you, uh, are you dating now? Are you, are you in that process, or you're just focused on work? focused on work. I am not in the dating process, but I wouldn't say that I'm like only focused on work. I'm open to the possibility. I just okay. you know, have, don't 
have any of um, opportunity right now, shall we say? I was trying to softball that, and now you just insulted yourself. That's not necessary, Crystal. <laughs> you need to have a better self-image, love. But let me ask you this: uh, dating. Since we're about the same, I mean, yeah. I'm married. Uh, do you have that conversation right off the bat? I mean, is it? It's a deal breaker for you, right? If the guys, if the guys a leftist or not, you you can't date a liberal, can you? No, like I, I, a Democrat, I could do depending on whether or not they're liberal, because I don't think we can really go just off of what their voter registration card says anymore. It really comes down to: Are you a conservative? Or are you a liberal? So, yeah, no, the, the whole liberal thing, pretty much, though, I think you can tell that with most people before you would agree to go on a date with them. Not necessarily. Um, <laughs> it's true. So, My wife and I got married well between the the elections. And so after we after we were married, all of a sudden the election came. And Obama's running, and I'm like, if that guy gets in, I'm shaving my head on the front lawn of the radio station. And she's like, you're a you're you're a conservative. I'm like, well, on on oh, like no. five of oh, ten no. <laughs> issues, I'm a super conservative, and on like four of ten issues, I lean to the left, and on a couple of them, I just don't care. How did you screw up so badly, Fundip? How did that conversation never occur? Because well, she was cute. So at no point did you ask her about her fundamental values. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, so okay, so Crystal, and I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that you usually know before you start dating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Honest question: With men, generally speaking, if he's a wimp, if he's like a, you can just tell he's spineless, a bit of a wimp. Right. Can't you usually tell he's a liberal right off the bat. Right. Yes. Yes. You know how? Yes. Well, You're I'm exactly a wimp, right. Though. I see a lot of stuff on Twitter all the time about how, oh, you know, our conservative women are hotter, they're they're gorgeous, and then look at all these liberal women. But the flip side that nobody really talks about is that the same is true with men. Like, a lot of liberal guys just are not attractive, either their looks or personality, or like you said, they're just, they're just a wit, they're a pushover, and... I think especially I have a little more of a stronger personality, so I can't date someone who's a pushover. They have to be a strong guy. So uh, I think that that's probably where it's just it's never come up for me because if you're a pushover, man, it's not going to work. Well, so I also I imagine. Wear the pants. I also imagine for you, even though you're oh you're young enough that I can say how how old are you, Crystal? Uh, I just turned thirty. Oh, you just you. turned thirty. Oh, geez. Oh, I shouldn't have asked. Okay, but you're still. <laughs> You're yeah, still, at least you're, you're not 45. Yeah, well, really, if you if you were to cut Fundip open like a tree and just look at the rings, they'd be like, this, is, this, this man's a marvel. He's 98. And then somebody would say, and I thought he smelled bad on the outside. Oh, geez. Uh, I would imagine, though, Crystal, being a, uh, being a conservative woman, and then we'll get to the Romney thing when we get back. This has gone off topic, but I think this is actually very informative for me as a man. You want a man. I don't think that you want the you know the the CW button nose woman without breasts look right. You you probably want someone who's a little bit more of a traditional masculine figure. Or, or am I wrong? No, you're you're right. I, and I think most girls, if they're honest, that's what they want. And I think you know, flip side is true for guys too. If most guys are honest. That's what they want. They want somebody that's attractive. So you know. Well, attractive, but that's humanity. changed now. Like if you watch the CW true. or any of these teen movies, like Justin Bieber. 
is what's or one direction is what girls are going nuts for now. I'd imagine you're like, you know, I'd rather have a, a Clint Eastwood, you know, circa seventies or a Bronson right. head punk. Yes, no, okay. So like um my teen crushes T V wise was like John Wayne, uh Jimmy yeah. Stewart, Cary Grant. So yeah. Okay. And Adam from Bonanza. That tells me so, you came from a Christian household that wouldn't let you tune into TGIF. <laughs> It was like my parents when the Batman movie came out. Fun to like the story. The Batman film came out. And my parents didn't want me to see it because I was young. The one in '89. So, yeah, yeah. So what they showed me? Well, I was you know, I was well, I was two when it came out in '89. <laughs> oh my god! But then even then, when my friends were watching it, like in '93, my parents had me watch the old you know the old TV show, but they did a longer version and called it a film. They had me watch that as the Batman film. And I was talking with my friends. Yeah, remember when the Joker like fell off the baseball diamond? And they're like, "No, I don't remember that. That didn't happen in the movie at all." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure it did." Because and when they dehydrated tamer. all of those people and you know all of that thing, I was completely out of I was completely out of touch because my parents protected me when I was a kid. But uh, Crystal, we want to talk about your top reasons why Mitt Romney is the number one loser. Brilliant piece. We will be back here with Crystal after the break. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. We are back with our wonderful guest, Crystal Keith, known as The Friddle on Twitter. You can read her writing at louderwithcrowder.com. The what? Uh, what? The what? The Friddle. Sounds like some sort of pastry. Yeah, it does. <laughs> No, okay, so I have six younger siblings. When they were growing up, they couldn't pronounce Crystal. So some of them called me Crystal, and some of them called me Criddle, and somehow the two just, like, morphed together over time, and they called me Friddle. So my nickname. Outstanding. I love that. So it's a nickname invented by special needs children. This is, I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not Well, they were sh- homeschooled. So. Oh, okay. So it's, it's a thin line. You wrote a great piece here at louderwithcrowder.com. <laughs> Uh, the top nine reasons why Mitt Romney, for those who don't know, it looks like he's going to run again, and he's asking donors to hang onto their wallet so he can absolutely decimate any other contenders, uh, which I think is a jackass move, but that's just me personally. I've never been a Romney fan. I know we're going to get letters and phone calls. You can tweet me at S. Crowder. Go to louderwithcrowder.com and let me know. I'm not a Romney fan. I don't think he's the right candidate. You created a list as to why Mitt Romney, if he is the candidate, will lose uh let's just run through that w- what is the number one reason and i think i can guess okay wait but first let me just say that i i have a good friend who's a good friend of romney and i've spent some extensive time with the man a few years back when he was running and he is one of the nicest people i've ever met that said his politics are just well that said not i am friends with the santorum family and spent some time around romney on the other side of the coin and, uh, you know, it's very different when you're in the inner circle or if you can help someone's career. If you want to see how someone treats people, see how they treat someone who can't provide them with anything. And it was, uh, 
a little different. But again, you're in campaign mode, so to be fair, it's it's different treatment. But I have heard good things about them personally. He was super nice to me, super nice to everyone that I was with. So that's that's all I can say about that as a person. But politically, no. Number one being, he invented the precursor to Obamacare. He wrote the script for Obamacare with Romney Care in Massachusetts. And uh, we've seen how that's gone for us. Right. Well, like I said, there are only two people in the history of mankind to sign a health care mandate into law, Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. Uh, I I don't know how you run them. I I don't know how you run them with that. Uh, Anyway, not much of an explanation necessary. So let's move on to number two. A lot of people don't know this. The number two reason uh, Romney would be a poor candidate choice. Yeah, number two reason, he flip-flops on social issues like gay marriage and abortion. I think it was in 2007, 2002, one of those, when he was running for governor. He said he was more pro-choice than Ted Kennedy was. And Ted Kennedy is, like, as liberal as it gets. So how can you possibly be more pro-choice than Ted Kennedy? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't think Mitt Romney drove uh, any of his mistresses off a bridge and left them for dead. But, you know, it's still That's a, a plus. That is a That's plus. That's definitely a plus. He has that going for him. And here's the thing with that that I find um, amazing, Crystal, is he's always been a Mormon. So yeah. when he was for gay marriage and abortion, he was just being a really, really bad Mormon. So either his mm-hmm. politics were fake or his faith was fake. Because neither one of them can be justified with the other. It's not like he said, you know, I was a secularist, you know, I was an atheist, and I had to, co- I had a come to Jesus moment, which changed my viewpoint. You see that a lot. People have the right to change. But he was a Mormon while he was pro-abortion, and then he was still just mm-hmm. the same old Mormon while he was against abortion. What changed if not politics? Right. So yep. I, I think that's an important note there. Okay, number three. A lot of people will be surprised at this one, Crystal. Yeah, number three, uh, the guy supports gun control. He said, we have tough gun laws in Massachusetts. I support them. I believe they help protect us and provide for our safety. Now, personally, I think that we should have some gun requirements, but not gun control. Like, it's just plain anti-Second Amendment, this guy. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's one of those things, and we won't bore people, but they have to actually look at the kind of laws in Massachusetts to understand. Right, exactly. Just we don't have the, time to get into all that. Right, exactly. We have to keep it short because people have a short attention span with the Internet now. Exactly. It's, all about, it's all about dramatic hamsters and turtles copulating work boots, see? Uh, number four, here's one another people don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, taxes. Beautiful, lovely taxes. While governor of Massachusetts, taxes on businesses went up by $300 million. $300 million bucks on businesses. But the guy is business-friendly and all that. You know? Yes, exactly. $300 million. And we have an entire list up there, including illegal uh, immigration poly, uh, policy, bailouts, uh, his view on judges and the Supreme Court. Crystal, thank you so much for being here on the show. Louderwithcrowder.com is where people can read that uh, later today. And uh, we hope to have you back. You can inform some some miscreants like us. <laughs> Thanks. It was great to be here. All right, Crystal, thank you very much. And we will be back here on Louder with Crowder. Wham. Talk to you later. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham. Talk 1600.
time for the Motor City Maniac, the wit from the mitt, the Great Lakes Grandmaster, the Motown Madman, the Mittens Killer Kitten. We ran out of nicknames. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Final hour of Louder with Crowder. I just, oh, I just cut my finger. You ever get you the, the, the arm chair? Uh, the arm of your chair and your finger caught between the arm and the desk, and it scissors your finger. Oh yeah, that would hurt. I had just, a I had a, a backdrop fall on it in theater years ago on my thumb, and it busted my thumb between. Uh, we had a bar in the set, and then the backdrop, and it went bam. My brother broke his uh, finger because he flipped some kids the bird who were trying to uh, beat up on me, but he was on rollerblades. And so they beat him up with hockey sticks. <laughs> Things that happen in Canada. Literally. Well, the problem was he had his wrist guards on, you know, from rollerblading. You know those, like, wrist kind of oh, braces? yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so they were hitting him with hockey sticks, and he just fell. And those things just act as – they act as levers to just crank your fingers, and he broke one. And I, I felt so bad because he was kind of defending my honor. But uh, they hit him with hockey sticks. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what else? Is there any more of a Canadian cliche than they, they beat the crap out of my brother with hockey sticks while he was rollerblading? Uh, anyway, he's going to be on, actually, uh, after the break. We'll be talking about the Academy Awards. And now we will also be talking about how liberals are mad at the Academy Awards. They think that the awards are too white. People are all up in arms as well about the fact that the Lego movie didn't get a lot of nominations. I loved that film. It's exactly like, when you look at the plot of it, it's exactly like the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, you've got your uh, yeah. the same basic premise, and the same guy plays the main character. But I, But I preferred Guardians of the Galaxy so much to the Lego movie, but I think there was one key reason that I just could not get past the Lego movie. What is this? Will Ferrell. Oh, that's right. You really don't like Will Ferrell. He makes me want to vomit. Well, don't do that. Don't do that in the studio. It's a nice studio. It's expensive. And then you can't blame it on Will Ferrell. But, okay. So, this week, while we're getting into the entertainment side of things, it's obviously big and a lot of conservatives, let's talk about John Maynard. Listen, we've talked about terrorism. We've talked about Romney. We've, we've covered all of that. The big thing right now in America are the Oscar nominations. And it's important that conservatives don't become so disconnected with culture that they render themselves irrelevant. So the Oscar nominations are the big thing right now. Of course, a lot of liberals are mad. They say there aren't enough minority nominations and women aren't being nominated for enough awards. Uh, Best Actress and Supporting Actress notwithstanding, they're talking about writing and composing and directing. I'm not into identity politics or quotas. On, on any of this when it comes to the creative arts. I think either you're funny or you're not. Either your film is good or it's not. Uh, you, you would agree with that, right, Fun Dip? Oh, 100%. Some of the best stuff I've seen has been produced by, you know, minorities, women, and, uh, and even, you know, completely different countries, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to win an award for it. Well, that broad with the tattoos, she won... Uh for Juno, right? Wasn't didn't she write the script for Juno? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great movie. Yeah, exactly. It was a good movie. I don't know if it should have won like best script. 
Well, I I loved the whole thing from beginning to end, so I might just I was just charmed by the whole thing. It was a very pro life film, yeah, by the way. That was the, to me that was the key to the whole thing. I thought, yeah. man, you don't see that in the theaters very often now. Well, there was that new one um, that just came out. I forgot the name of it, but it was a pro-abortion film, and and you know people were people were praising it in Hollywood how brave it was. So, before we get into that, we'll we'll talk about Share then. So, this is what Share said this week. Let me bring up the quote for you here. This is the one that got me all the death threats from Share fans because Share fans. I don't know if you knew this, Fun Dip. Not a big sense of humor. No, no. Not a big sense of humor at all, actually. So her tweet this week, share, regarding terrorism was, I know nothing about fighting terrorism. Should have stopped right there. Should have stopped right there. That's enough. If you don't know it, don't comment on it. I guess we should do it in share song. I know nothing about fighting terrorism. That's just, <laughs> just bad. <laughs> I thought the mic might clean it up. Should I know nothing about fighting terrorism, but if their objective is to die, can't police throw tear gas and then shoot them with darts? No martyrs. I can sort of see how that makes sense, though. If if the objective, you know, you you, you die, you, you're awarded with all those virgins. Don't kill them. Maybe Wait, lock them up in Gitmo for a couple of decades. Well, that's the thing, and then she, she'll be out there protesting Gitmo. She's not about that. She, because she, it's not because she sees the irony in martyrdom. It's because she thinks it's cruel to kill them. Okay, so Cher, would you be okay with you know? How about this? Covering them in in uh, bacon juice before you kill them, because you have to understand that the, the Islamic view of heaven is a much more physical one than that of Christians or other religions. So they really believe that if your body is defiled before you get that meeting, that uh, that you're going to have some problems. So let's give them some problems. Now, my view of heaven is actually being covered in bacon, not the bacon juice, the grease. I want the actual bacon. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying the bacon grease. Someone th- that's my um, that's my vision of hell is someone throwing piping hot bacon grease all over me there was that remember that movie uh was it farrah fawcett where she was the guy the home intruder comes in and was was basically like he didn't quite rape her but it was he it was headed that way but he was making her pretend to be his wife like make me breakfast make my coffee but he's sitting there holding her at gunpoint did you ever see that oh i think that was oh i can't remember i think it was a made for tea the burning bed i think is what it was the made, burning bed. Yeah, made for TV movie with, uh, and she throws the uh, the hot butter on him. Remember yeah. that? Do 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 do. No, that's hot buttered popcorn. Yeah, yeah, that's not the same thing. She threw the hot butter on him. Just ah, and I was sitting there. I was like, that's brilliant. But then she didn't capitalize on it, and I think he locked her in a fireplace. So a bit of a weird turn, bit of a sad turn. But Cher is saying this, and this is not unique to. Share. Let's read some of the top quotes before we get to the Oscar nominations. Uh, Ed Asner said that he thinks there's a strong streak of racism whenever we engage in foreign adventures. Our whole history and regime change has been people of a different color. Sandra Bernhardt said the real terrorists are George W. Bush and his band of brown shirted thugs. Uh, let me see here. Um, oh, Dave Clennon, star of the CBS television series The Agency. These are just these come to me from rightwingnews.com, by the way, in aggregation of all of these quotes. I'm saying that the moral climate within the ruling class in this country, America, is not that different from the moral climate within the ruling class of Hitler's Germany. I'm not comparing Bush to Adolf Hitler, 
because Bush, for one thing, is not as smart as Adolf Hitler. And secondly, here's the kicker, Bush doesn't have as much power as Adolf Hitler. Uh, no, sorry, Bu- sorry, the opposite. Bush has far more power than Adolf Hitler ever had. This guy is actually serious. Sheryl Crow, I think war is based in greed, and there are huge karmic retributions that will follow. I think war is never the answer to solving any problems. The best way to solve problems is to not have enemies. A couple of things. If you have no enemies, your life is inconsequential. War is not always the answer, but war is definitely sometimes the answer. Sometimes war is kind of the answer. War ended Nazi Germany. War uh, uh, stopped terrorists in Iraq just recently. If you want to say war, they said he just avoided another Paris bombing in Belgium. And by the way, violence manages to fix every remote control I've ever owned. So violence sometimes is the answer. We'll talk more about that and the Oscar nominations after the break with my wonderful award-winning filmmaker brother, Jordan Crowder. Stay tuned. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 say, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. We are back, and I am so thrilled that my mom forced me to have this next guest on. Uh, Actually, we're talking about Oscar nominations. (laughs) It's trending all over Twitter. There's a lot of controversy, even though it seems like there shouldn't be. So, actually, uh, this gentleman is an award-winning filmmaker, and uh, actor out in Los Angeles, so he knows the industry really well. My brother, Jordan Crowder. Jordan, thanks, or whatever. Hey, Steven. Nice to be on the show. Kind of. Nepotism at its finest. Nepotism exactly. at its finest. I hear all these radio hosts bringing on their, their parents or, or their relatives who are completely unqualified. And in this instance, he's actually qualified. We bring Jordan on to discuss issues relating to Hollywood because that's what he does. You know, He's always been a filmmaker. He does... Uh, he does comedy like I do. He does sketch comedy. So, Jordan, have you been following at all the, the Oscar nominations? Yes, I have, actually. Um, I, I, I was surprised that that, uh, that Selma got snubbed. Yeah. I thought that that was a 2015 release, so I was, I was surprised that there was even talk of it. Well, it's just it's always the the industry scam where everybody waits until the week after Christmas to release their movies so they could be nominated for award season. And then so most of the stuff that was out early in the year gets totally ignored. Yeah. 
That's true. What would you say, Jordan, would be your your top films of the year if you had, you know, disregarding the Academy and their whole popularity contest? If you had to give us just like two or three. Well, I'm I'm a little bit biased. Um, I really liked uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, that was one right. of my favorite films of the year. But then also, I got to see an early cut of last year of Birdman, and I really liked that when I watched it. And it's funny because I was in a focus group. I had to lie and say that I wasn't in the industry so I could see the movie. But I I got I I really want I got I get like these free emails where they're like come see the come see the movie uh, for free and tell us what you think. But you're not supposed no one's supposed to be in the industry. So I end up going to those and I tell them that like oh, I'm a freelancer or just make it really vague so I could see these movies that I want to see. But the cut was really great and I sat in on this focus group and everyone there hated it. So well, I bet was- you Fundip would like that because a couple of reasons Fundip. It's Michael Keaton and it also sort of follows it sort of mirrors his life, right? It's a film about him being a successful sort of big superhero franchise, you know, Birdman kind of like Batman and then him kind of have a trying to have a career comeback. So isn't it it's sort of the Michael Keaton story, right? Yeah, so I mean, there's some parallels to him. I think it's just kind of more of a nod because, right? I, I think I don't. If his life is actually like that, it'd probably be really sad. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of this is it's, that was kind of like with Mickey Rourke and the Wrestler. It, it paralleled with his career comeback, which yeah. was a good film, but man, that was tough to take. When, when the film is just leaves you going, ah, oh, crap. Yeah, uh, I can't believe I watched it. Well, I don't know if you've seen this controversy, Jordan, but some people are really mad. It's actually trending on Twitter still now for two days that the Oscars are so white. People are mad that there aren't enough black nominations. Uh, what, do, what do we do with that? <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, what I want people to win that, that deserve the award. So whoever was best that year should get the award. And we've we've had Oscar years where there's there's many uh, African Americans who are nominated and win. So I don't I don't see what the big issue is. Well, that was last year. That was last year. It was the Twelve Years a Slave girl, who's very pretty, and that uh, toothless pirate from Captain Phillips. Yeah, yeah. That's got to be tough, though. Did you see Captain Phillips' fun dip? No, no, didn't. Uh, well, he plays like a Somali pirate, and he won the Academy Award. But the only role he could ever play is a Somali pirate. <laughs> like, that's got to be tough. He's trying to break into the industry. You know, what I really want to do is romantic comedies. <laughs> the Somali pirates do not have our Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is our Bruce Willis. I want to be that. It's like, yeah, you got to have some teeth and fix the hairline and, and gain 90 pounds. Yeah, I just Googled I- the guy. I see what you mean, yeah. It's tough. What else is he going to do unless the script calls for Somalian pirate? Well, he could probably well, play a lot of different aliens in, in <laughs> sci-fi. Uh, I, I could easily see him being one of the people that hung out in the fifth element. I actually, actually saw him in Santa Monica. He's got hair plugs now and zoom whitening. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> He's gone Hollywood. He's looking for clothing sponsors. I only wear Calvin Klein. <laughs> it's tough. That's got to be. I mean, it's got to be tough when you're cast specifically for something like that, and you're at the top. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better. You've won an Academy Award, 
and you're going to be broke in five years because <laughs> no one's going <laughs> to hire you for anything else. Well, 12 Years a Slave, did you ever see? I'll be honest, I didn't. They sent me the screeners as a part of the actors' union, and I, I just don't. I just didn't have enough guilt left. I had watched Dallas Buyers Club, and then by the time it came to Twelve Years, I was I was beaten up. To, have you seen it, Joe? Uh, yeah, it was actually it was actually a really great film. I, I enjoyed it a lot, and like you said, you do feel really bad and guilty. I don't know why. It's, I didn't do any of that stuff, but um, it's it's it, it was really good. The, the the I forget the guy's name. I just remember I liked him um, in that Woody Allen movie that nobody liked. <laughs> Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, uh, not not Blue Jasmine. That was the recent one. Uh, Melinda, Melinda is what Melinda, I Melinda. From. Yeah, that was it. I think I watched that on your recommendation, and I didn't really like it. <laughs> Speaking of which, if we're going to be mad about black people not getting enough awards, can we be mad about uh, serial pedophile rapists getting awards? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, they don't they protect Woody Allen, protect Roman Polanski, and then they don't want to air the the Charlie Hebdo Muhammad cartoon. Oh, we're so brave. We're so brave. Yeah, that's the buzzword in Hollywood. Everything's brave. It's almost become become a like a uh, like a like a curse though. If somebody calls you brave in Hollywood, people are like, "Oh, okay, yeah, this person doesn't care." Like that's that's like that's become the badge, and it's become like a I don't know what, what do you call it like a you know like a curse. If somebody calls you brave, it's like a it's like a bad thing. Kind of like the thing that uh, what are you laughing at, Fun Dip? It just his delivery. <laughs> like a like a like a curse. I don't I don't have the words this morning. It's like too the early thing you haven't had your coffee yet, have you? He doesn't drink coffee. Well, no wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I he, love he, it's he, he that laid back kind of groove. You know, it's that's cool. the way Jordan is. Jordan is. It's funny. Jordan, you know, for those listening, Jordan is my brother. We both have worked in the entertainment industry for years. I mean, that's that's all we've ever done. It's the only way we've made a living. No, we don't know how to wait tables. And Jordan is so mellow, and I'm obviously a very explosive guy. You're like Jordan that is, dog that sees the squirrel and up. Squirrel! Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's, there is some of that. That's, that's, the way, that's the way I'm wired. But when Jordan gets mad, he's implosive, and he gets the shakes. And it's, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen this. He's never seen this, but his hair, his scalp goes back, and he literally shakes like a kid who just had like too much chocolate cake at a birthday party. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, something's going to happen. And then it usually passes. But <laughs> that's how I, you know he's I next. just jam it down deep into my soul. <laughs> <laughs> that's the healthiest way. And then, at, and then at 45, he'll get a motorcycle, and he'll uh, head off to Sturgis. He'll be 45 <laughs> years old wearing a Led Zeppelin T-shirt and a pair of cheap headphones. Oh, good Probably Lord. be more like a social distortion T-shirt. Oh, that's there you true. Go. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Fundip is into the uh, the punk rock, but you know it's it's it is funny you talk about this. The Sex word brave, pistols. we throw it around in Hollywood so often that it's really lost all meaning. Oh, you played a gay guy. Congratulations! Yeah. Oh, I'm so brave. You're not actually being a gay guy. You played a gay guy for twenty million dollars. Like I'm I'm not gay, but for twenty million dollars, I could learn really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I could too, probably less than even less than twenty million. If Fun Dip were to drop down, if all of a sudden you know, like he was a Mister Deed situation, he where found the out hell that he is inherited. this going? 
I don't think you're going to like where this is going at all. Oh, so that's why you bring in the music. No, let me finish this. A fun dip came in. <laughs> He's motioning. It's out of my hands. And said, here's $2 million. You're going to have to join me in the mansion for the evening, Crowder. Ugh. I would say, $2 million? All right. No. Oh, no. Let's do this. I think it'd be like a we gotta come back like after this break. Park Boys for me. It'd be a cheeseburger like Randy. Okay, we'll be back. We do love dancing to happy songs. And every time I say that, my wife gets mad and texts me. You don't need to say it every time that music plays. It's a thump. It's inspiring, though, isn't it? It is. I really do like that song. And so does my guest. My my brother is with us today, uh, actor and filmmaker extraordinaire. So perfect time to have him on to talk about the Oscars and uh, why the Academy is so racist. Jordan, thank you for being back. Thanks for having me. Okay, first off, let's get – so where's the best place for people to find you? Um, they could find me at jordancrowderfilms.com or on Twitter at Jordan Crowder. At Jordan Crowder. Now he's so formal. So we, <laughs> we get him to improve his sound quality and now he thinks he's going to take my job. What a, what a, what a cheap trick and you're the, trying to play. The best part is we wouldn't have to change the bumps. It could still be louder with Crowder. That's true. Right there, less work for me. Yeah, well, yeah. I still had. I thought it would have been a better a better show name would have been uh, just Crowdered. I think that's a. I think that's that was like a throwback to when you were when you were in high school. You had it's getting Crowdered in here. That Remember was my that? slogan. Back Remember on that space? I do. It was a good one. MySpace. Yeah, MySpace. Is- you MySpace existed when you were in high school. Yeah. You're just a fetus. <laughs> well, Steven good thing you're not a liberal, self- so you won't abort me. Steven <laughs> had his little selfies on there with his little ab pictures and everything. Oh, yeah, man. I did. I, did. I remember Eating- finding him on the computer, and I was like, what the heck is this? Eating his yogurt tubes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big... Well, I tell you, to, to be honest, this was before social media was really a thing. MySpace was kind of the first version of that. And it was before they had created custom profiles. So I just used it for stand-up. And I remember Jordan showing me how to use like HTML coding enough that I could put some clips in on my profile like instead of a music track. Yeah. And it, it, uh, it actually got the attention of some talent scouts. And I won some, some competitions and, and got, us some, got into some big festivals and some TV roles from MySpace. I, I remember once you won this contest open for Bruce Bruce. Oh, God. And that was like... That was the worst audience for you. I remember you being the only white guy in the room that went up and didn't get any laughs until you started putting on a fake Ebonics accent and making fun of yourself, and then they were all on board. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Like I went up in any of like the any of the political humor or any of the commentary, like, and I'm like, I know I'm the whitest guy on the face of the planet. They're like, ah. It was Bruce Bruce. For if you don't know, he's literally fun dip, a, about four hundred something pound black comic, 
from like Alabama or one of those southern, you know, he's the southern, big southern black comic. And then his opener, wherever he goes, is a guy named Black Boy. (laughs) Black Boy. (laughs) Completely unfamiliar with his work. Well, so there's Bruce Bruce, Black Boy, and me. (laughs) One of these things is not like the other. But you know what was the best learning experience about that was I remember sitting in the green room, and that's when I learned that black people really love Andy Griffith. They, they were watching it on the TV in there, and they were just, like, howling and laughing. I was like, I did not expect this to be a sitcom that they would like to watch. Well, black Americans, you know, they share a lot of the same, you know, a lot of the same colloquialisms. They speak the same way, a lot of the same culture as southern white Americans. You know, that y'all, the only people who use it are black people, whether they're black people from Detroit or white people from Oklahoma. You know, uh, bless your heart, you know. Uh, for example, Bruce Bruce has a funny bit where he talked though about uh, talked about you know when black people when someone gets in trouble we say Jesus because you know there is power in the name of Jesus. White people say, "Oh my God!" You know that's their typical white person voice. Every black comic has. Because so you you driving down the road, the black person you hit you hit a, a patch of ice, you start swerving around, Jesus, boom, that straightened that car right out. White person hit that patch of ice. Oh my boom, you crash. You gonna crash your car. And it's just like <laughs> everything was just white people versus black people. But it was funny, especially because we are so white. Speaking of so white, trending right now on Twitter is Oscars are so white. So this is the big criticism. Jordan, I mean, you've seen the nominations. Um, do you just think this is, this is another opportunity for Hollywood to push? In a, uh, what's funny, though, is Hollywood is the bastion of progress, uh, progressivism, right? Yeah. So how do you think they react? Do you think right now they're, they're trying to do damage control, going, oh, my gosh, we have to, next year we're going to have to have a bunch of black awards? Because they, they would hate to be called discriminatory as they are right now. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I. I don't know that they really do care. I think that they're that that they that they probably felt like they made their quota last year, and they're <laughs> and and they're and they're just they're just they're just going through the motions. You know. I don't. I. I think whenever whenever there's that kind of uproar in within the Hollywood community, it's like it. it it's not even Hollywood people who are just like, well, that's 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 crap. They're, they're they don't even. They don't even care about it. It's like they they feign this kind of um, th- this interest in social justice and stuff, but when it comes to their own community, they don't actually care about it. Yeah, that's a good point. They sort of separate what they. What was that fun dip? There's a lot of diversity in in the films that I saw this year. I saw one film that had a green woman, a blue woman, a blue guy, a talking squirrel, and a talking tree. No, that's just when you popped LSD. No, that was that's my favorite film of the year, Guardians of the Galaxy. It was a good <laughs> film. Jordan, you haven't seen that, have you? No, I haven't. And you know what actually um it, a completely non-political film, but a lot of conservative values espoused, you know, family, oh, yeah. uh, selflessness, sacrifice, listening and, to analog tapes. Right. <laughs> also, you know what else? Um a lot of people don't really like to acknowledge this, but the most successful films have good and evil. As much as liberals in Hollywood, they're trying to create this whole grayscale universe. You know, is Batman a good guy or is he really the bad guy? Is he modern? Now he's abusing his power. Who's good and who's evil? If you look at the most successful films like Lord of the Rings or this year, Guardians of the Galaxy, you look at the biggest stars of all time, there was clear-cut good guy, bad guy, because humans inherently know that that is 
true in the world. And they like to see that represented on screen. But Hollywood loves to act as though that everything falls under this moral ambiguity. And it's funny, Jordan, you see a lot more of that, don't you find, in the nominations than in the successful films commercially. Yeah, no, that's true. It's because Hollywood never they the nominations are never what 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 the people enjoy as viewers. It's always just kind of whatever they want to promote or push that year. It's they're they're totally out of step with the regular movie going uh, public. But you, um, you can't always it, trust the movie going public, though. They like Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Uh, yeah, pretty funny, but they rejected Dumb and Dumber too. I know, that is true. Yeah, that they was... just they totally got robbed this year. Um, but it's <laughs> it's funny though that that you're. It's right. It's funny that something like I was. We, we were talking to Patricia Heaton once, and she recommended the TV show uh, Walking Dead, which That's I right. thought I would never enjoy that show because I'm not. I've never really been in the zombie movies, and I'm not into gore, and I didn't think I would like it. But she explained to me. She said it's one of the only shows on television that 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 shows good and evil and also forces you to examine uh your values because it's a post-apocalyptic situation and there's constant it's constantly a re-examining of morals and values and i and i thought that was like that was an interesting point and i watched it and it's true it's it's really really interesting show and there's a bunch of zombie killing and stuff in between all of that stuff but it's I, and that's one of the most popular tv shows right now and families gather around and watch it like yeah. everyone in my church watches the walking dead on sunday night <laughs> Which is funny because that would have been shunned by the church a long time ago. You, you have something fun, Dip. Well, what channel is it on? AMC. Okay. Well, yeah. I, it makes sense that people in a church would watch a show about resurrected dead. So, you know. <laughs> I <guess>. true. <laughs> Zombie Jesus. So, but I've got a friend who has just got a huge crush on Norman Reedus, and I keep meaning to check out the show, and I never have, but everybody raves about it. You know, yes. and it's funny, I hate zombie films too, and it's mainly because Jordan and I, you know, went to film school, to be fair, Jordan, for much further along the trail uh, than I ever was, and every kid and their dog makes a zombie film. It's like the first thing they make in film school, and they're all just trash. Yeah, and I, I was in a couple of them too, but yeah. I, rem <laughs> I remember that uh, in a screenwriting class, there was, it was 15 people in the class, and there was about maybe five zombie scripts, and I'm like, you're in screenwriting. What else do you need to what, – what are you going to write about? I mean, is it these zombies – there's nothing in this but zombie killing. You're right. supposed to write dialogue and learn how to create characters, and it's like – and then the guy blows the zombie's head off. What, what, are, what yeah, are you doing? Why are you wasting your parents' money? What was that fun, Dip? They're just writing screen directions as opposed to dialogue. That, yeah. that's, and that – you know, we go back and forth on Kevin Smith, Stephen – but one of the things that I like is how much attention to dialogue he pays. There's there's constantly clever it's dialogue. True. Well, I don't think he so much pays attention to dialogue as much as gives a talented cast time because he doesn't write a lot a lot of that. Yeah, I got I think, the, Well, uh, I don't think he. I don't think he allows for a lot of improv. I think most of his stuff is written out. He's not like a Barry Levinson where the dialogue comes off really off the cuff and you can see there's like overlapping dialogue and the guys are the guys are really kind of just just off the cuff but I think Kevin Smith really does write out all his dialogue that's that's what uh, many of the people have said on the commentary tracks on the films of his that I've watched if they stray from the script 
He says, stop, do it over again. I wrote it a specific way, and it's going to work that way. Well, and that's yeah. why he ran into so many problems with Bruce Willis. Uh, he hated Bruce Willis in that movie, that film Cop Out, which was awful. But he just said Bruce Willis was just really difficult to work with. And frankly, I thought it was kind of classless to throw Bruce Willis under the bus. It's kind of a general rule that unless someone you know, causes you harm to go over budget or over time, you know, if you didn't work too well together, you don't you don't drag their name through the mud. And, and he, Kevin Smith did that with Bruce Willis. I mean, in, in one of his public speaking engagements, he basically said that he hates Bruce Willis and will never work with him again. Yeah, he came to my class in film school. They had this big master class, and he just he he. You could tell. I mean, I respect what he does as a director, and I don't particularly like his films, but I I respect the way that he got into the industry and how he's kind of his own man. But he just burns every bridge like he was sitting there every movie he worked on every actor oh i hated working with this guy this guy was a moron this guy this producer made me do this this guy's a moron like i don't know that he has any friends in the industry <laughs> well it's Jason like that Hughes. guy it's it's like that guy who made uh boondock saints there was a documentary on that where he just you know it was a one-time film that went crazy vi- you know viral and was successful and he's never made another one again because everyone hates him yeah, I, I, I've I've heard of that. You actually gave me a copy of it, and I never watched it. Sorry, yeah, I gave it to you. I think it's like a stocking stuffer. But right now, so before we go and let you go, Jordan, what's the takeaway here for people looking at the Oscar nominations? A lot of conservatives are going to say, "Oh, I don't even, why do we even care? Let's talk about Benghazi." I mean, you look all over Twitter; it's trending. Why is it important for people to at least have a cursory knowledge of this? Well, I mean, it's 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 the pop culture. If you're going to affect any of it you need to know what's going on in it you just you need to engage with it um i I went through a period where i you know i was the indie kid in film school and didn't well i'm not gonna watch the oscars that's bull crap but um it's it's important now especially now that i work in the industry but just just to know what's going on and to engage and to be able to to have an opinion on on these these movies and stuff that are popular and just to just not to not to be just separate from the culture but be be in it you know what i mean yeah to be involved with although i think one can argue for sure that ho- the oscars are a separate culture from i guess mass media consumption culture you know you're you're right you're right but um the thing is though hollywood sets the pop culture because now they've said all these movies are important and so the mainstream is going to go out and see all these movies after the fact nobody watched them during the year that's always what happens (laughs) um (laughs) yeah yeah i ever since i've had a kid i've hardly seen any i used to see you know 50 percent of the oscar nominated films and this year i think i've seen Four movies, and I don't know which ones have even been nominated. Guardians of the Galaxy, the new Hobbit film, Spider-Man 2, and Maleficent. I actually really, (laughs) I actually liked Maleficent. and I I loved that. And I liked Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay, so Jordan, real quick, we're going to let you go here. Your top three films, and I'll give my top three. Um, Well, I said Grand Budapest, Birdman, and uh, gosh, what what else is on there? Uh, Those are the only two you can think of. Chef, yes, Chef. I would say uh, if I had to give Grand Budapest, Chef, 100-Foot Journey, and um, uh, Gone Girl. Gone Girl would be up there. And, and Guardians of the Galaxy I would put in there, too. It was actually really well done. Jordan, Jordan Crowder Films. You can find him on Twitter, at Jordan Crowder. Thank you, sir. We will bring you back on to talk Hollywood in the future.
You're listening to Louder with Crowder on Wham! Talk 1600. This is a strange show, and I am your strange animal. We're going to change the entire intro for that. I think we both agreed that's the song it should be. I like that song, yeah. Gotta love Gowan, which is funny. You know, Dana's husband, Chris, is a good friend of mine, does not like Gowan. He hates him. I was very impressed with my wife when I was cutting up the audio for the show, and she's like, Gowan, yeah, oh, Gowan. She loved it. I was like, very cool. Uh, before the break, you want to tell everyone what you were talking about there, uh, Fun Dip, while we were on break? What were, oh, what were we talking about? You don't want to tell about the uh, about the pictures you were going to send me and uh, things you were talking about there? <laughs> don't want to talk about that uh, on air? Well, we, we, were ta- we were talking about, you know, the things that men find attractive about women. And... Uh, <laughs> 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 You sound like a child who's explaining something that he's done wrong to his mom. You you, ad- you admitted that you and I both are are uh, fans of nice back ends, so that's all this I got true. to say about that. No, we were talking. We were talking about that, and I tell you this: my wife is. Um, you know, I think obviously, I think my wife is is beautiful, and I think most people would say she's a pretty girl. Didn't some guy holler at you guys when you were walking down the street that one time? Yeah, well, we've had it a couple of times, but that time was hilarious because the guy looks like exactly like uh, Chris Rock, uh, not Chris Rock, Kid Rock from Joe Dirt. He had that look, that mullet, and like you know the Budweiser T-shirt. But I find her very pretty. But I've seen women treat her like crap just because she's pretty or because she's thin. And listen, I don't think that anyone should ever be rude to someone for their size, regardless of whether they're large or thin. Because I've been—I was fat in junior high. I was a fat little kid, and I, I got some jokes about it, and that was hurtful. And I was also really skinny my senior year because, you know, what happened is I was really, really short in the eighth grade. I was a small kid, so I was just short and kind of round and fat. And I started, so that's when I started training. Was thirteen years old, and it doesn't matter how much you work out; it instilled good discipline. But you can't change your genetics at that point. You're, you're not a man yet, so you're not able to actually cause the neural adaptation that's necessary to either gain muscle. But I, I got into the rhythm, and then when I was 16, my senior year of high school, so I, I graduated you know, the 11th grade there in Canada, um, I was six foot two, 146 pounds. Bean pole. Bean pole, and I was eating double Whoppers with cheese. Oh. Uh, with every single you know side I could imagine, I just couldn't put on weight, so I was made fun of for being skinny. So I've been on both sides of that. It, it does go both ways, especially with women. Yeah, and and you'll see a lot of bigger women. My mom is another one. She's smaller. She's thinner. She's not quite you know she's not as as thin as my wife. My wife because she's so tall, she's six foot. It's exaggerated. But my mom one time went into a store and said, "Do you have this in a size you know, like a size four? You know, nothing crazy, but just not big. She's a smaller woman." And the lady at the store said, um, no, we only carry sizes for real women. And I just thought, you know, 
it would be a news story if my mom were working at this store and you came in as a big woman and she said, no, we only carry sizes for women who aren't fat tubs of crap, you know, but they do that all the time. So people don't understand that it actually does go both ways. And with women, they can be very harsh and, and try and tell you now that you're too thin. You're you're trying to create unrealistic expectations. Some people are just thinner, you know, and some people are bigger and that's OK. Yeah, I keep hoping that I get to walk past that gypsy from the Stephen King novel one of these days. And I get that, you know, they brush me, and I'm like, thinner. <laughs> you need your, I don't you care need if your the Zoltar. End, yeah, the end result is that, you know, I die from the curse from the book, but I get thinner for, you know, a meantime. Or the, well, instead of dying, you could just you just need to find a Zoltar on a boardwalk and make the wish to... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Tom Hanks and Big, remember that? Yeah. Man, what a piece of crap machine that was. I remember I saw it when I was in uh, Manitou Springs, Colorado, I was there going, wow, this is going to be great. And it just gives you a little card and says, like, your future is bright. I'm going, I spent a dollar on this. This is a ripoff. But we'll round this out here. We were talking about a lot today. We were talking about Hollywood and how they're mad about, there aren't, about how there aren't enough minority nominations. We were talking about the Charlie Hebdo and, and, and the cover that they've decided to run again in a new newspaper. And Hollywood has refused to air it. The media has refused to air it. It comes down to the same thing. All of these issues, it comes down to a First Amendment issue, the right to free speech. And we are at a time here in this country where it's not only under assault by people who don't believe in it, by people like Islamists, uh, by people in countries abroad who believe in censoring speech, but by the media and by liberals in this country who are complicit under the guise of being politically correct, of not being offensive, of hate speech laws. No one's going to come in here and say, we want to take away your free speech. They're going to come in and say, we really prefer you don't say that. Let's just try and be nice. Let's try and be civil. That's the big call is civility. Free speech for me is just too damn important. It's too important to let Muslims take it away if I'm drawing the profit. Or if I'm criticizing the prophet, it's too important to let Hollywood try and take it away. And it's certainly too important to let the media take it away because of some trendy political correctness. Freedom of speech is too damn important. If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle. Or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to SimplifiedWine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door. Guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today. 844-297-WINE. 